You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to another edition of Cowboys Cast presented by bloggingtheboys.com. I am your host, Bobby Belt. Coming up today, we're going to be talking with ESPN Monday Night Football analyst Lewis Riddick. We'll get his thoughts on this matchup against the Eagles and also find out what he thinks about this Cowboys team in general. A little bit later, we'll get into the three things I'll be keeping a close eye on in tonight's game. And before we wrap things up, we'll talk about Nick Sirianni's Beat Dallas shirt and have a quick history lesson on Eagles coaches and their use of basically Dallas hatred as a motivation tactic. This is not unusual what Nick Sirianni did, and I don't think he genuinely cares about Dallas at all. Uh, A quick programming note for those of you who are looking for the Ocho, with this being a Monday night game, we're shifting the schedule around just a tiny bit on the podcast feed this week. So no Ocho today or tomorrow. We will have a live post-game show on YouTube following tonight's game. And if you missed that, you'll be able to catch it here in the Blog and the Boys podcast feed on Tuesday. And then the Ocho will return on Wednesday. Okay, so we're going to talk to Lewis Riddick here in just a moment. Um, but let's get you caught up on some of the latest Cowboys news developments from over the weekend. There were a couple of them that I think are relevant heading into the night. Uh, but first off is the report from Adam Schefter of ESPN that Lyle Collins attempted to bribe the person administering his drug test or drug tests. And that's the main headline from a story that also includes a note that Collins was offered a two-game suspension, like a reduction down to two. It was, it was a, a compromise. He decided to fight it. He decided to appeal it. And ultimately, he ended up with the original five games as ruled by an arbitrator. So I think this is a great example of why Cowboys fans should not be so quick to jump to conclusions about what is or isn't fair. And maybe in time we'll find out that, you know, Lyle Collins is innocent of this and his name will be cleared, but this is what the league believes. And it makes a lot more sense now why they gave him the punishment that they did. And I think when you heard Mike McCarthy get asked about it or Jerry Jones get asked about it, they were, very cagey with the details, which is not unlike Mike McCarthy, but it's very odd for Jerry Jones to do that. And I think they both kind of tensed up a little bit when that topic would come up. And I think that spoke volumes. And I think it spoke to how serious the nature of the suspension was. And I think they knew that and they were operating accordingly. And I think that should have been a tip off to Cowboys fans that this was not some giant conspiracy to screw the Cowboys. But hopefully we'll have more on that uh, this week. We'll know more details about that. We'll have more on Lyle Collins' side. But that's just where that stands right now. 
The other thing, big COVID news for the Cowboys. Uh, while the Eagles are going to be getting Zach Ertz back for just in time for this Monday night game, he had been put on the COVID list not last Monday. He was cleared over the weekend. He will be playing. The Cowboys got some bad COVID news in the other direction for a third straight week. They will be without Bradley and I this week, as it was announced on Friday. And it appears they'll be without Keon O'Neill for the next two weeks. So Anai tested positive on Friday, or, or potentially Thursday. He went on the list Friday. We're not sure. Um, and Neil had been in COVID protocols as an unvaccinated high-risk contact last week. But he actually tested positive over the weekend. And per those COVID protocols as an unvaccinated player, he must remain on the list and away from the team for at least 10 days. So that would keep him out this week against the Eagles and next week against the Panthers. So this is a very big loss. It's a twofold big loss because they couldn't afford to lose any more defensive line depth. And they've lost that now with Bradley and I. And with Micah Parsons having to play likely a lot of snaps at defensive end for the Cowboys in this game, you really could have used the depth at linebacker. Now you're down one of the starters at linebacker and the other starter Parsons is playing off the edge. So it's back to Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch probably playing 80% plus of the snaps in this game. Now they stepped up. They answered the call against the Chargers. That was huge for the Cowboys. They're going to need them to do it again this week and probably in an even bigger way. And so, you know, this COVID list, it, you know, it, it can be damaging to your team. It can be beneficial depending on your opponent and what's happening them that week with the COVID list. But it's really a crapshoot. You know, it's really a roulette wheel. And so far through these first three weeks, the Cowboys have been really on the wrong side of it. And you hope that eventually this would average out for them. But it's definitely been a tough run for the Cowboys on the COVID protocols. And you just hope it slows down and you don't lose any critical ground due to one of these things. That'd be pretty tough to stomach. But either way... The Eagles come into this game missing a lot of guys. They will get their COVID guy back, though. Zach Ertz will play. The Cowboys will be without a couple guys again. Week one, it was Zach Martin. Week two, it was Randy Gregory. And now they're going to miss Keon O'Neal and Bradley and I. So there's been a starter missing from the lineup every game due to COVID so far this year. So a bit of a different world for the Cowboys from last year where they were relatively untouched, I feel like, most of the season with the COVID issue. All right, we're going to jump in now to that interview that I promised earlier with Lewis Riddick, the ESPN Monday Night Football Analyst. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. 
Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Joining us now is ESPN Monday Night Football analyst Lewis Riddick. Lewis was a ninth-round draft pick of the San Francisco 49ers in 1991, and he played seven NFL seasons, after which he served as a scout for Washington, eventually becoming director of pro personnel. He then spent several years with the Eagles, ascending to director of pro personnel for four years before he was ultimately hired away by ESPN in May of 2013. We are delighted that he is here with us today to preview this Cowboys and Eagles matchup, and also just share some of his broader thoughts on the Dallas Cowboys that I'm sure many of you are interested in. You can follow him on Twitter at L Riddick ESPN. Lewis, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So uh, when you've studied Dallas heading into this game, uh, this week three matchup with the Eagles, what stands out to you most about this team in terms of how they looked last year in the first year under Mike McCarthy and with Mike Nolan versus this year with Mike McCarthy getting the second year and Dan Quinn now coming in, uh, taking over this defense. Yeah. Well, let me start on the defensive side since that's where you, you know, that was the second part of the question. And look, I, I think Dan has evolved as a defensive play caller overall, since that's where, you know, first as a D line coach and then as a defensive play caller and then head coach, that's kind of been his progression. I think he's taken this so-called Seattle cover three concept and made it much more multiple with the Cowboys. And that's something that he intended on doing during his timeout that he had in between jobs in between Atlanta and then become coming here. And I think you've seen it kind of take this, this, this group of guys and made them a much more cohesive unit. Now, obviously they have a lot more work to do and right now they're dealing with a bunch of injuries on the defensive line, but I think you see them play with the unity that they didn't play with last year with the confidence they didn't play with yet last year. They've got some better players than they had last year. And I think it's all, once they are at full strength, is going to result in this being a much improved unit on that side of the ball. And offensively, this team can do whatever it wants to do. Um, It can beat you throwing the ball 50 times a game. It can beat you running the ball for 200 yards if if that's what you're going to, you know, force them to do. And I think that's the sweet spot Mike McCarthy was looking for as far as uh, his offensive philosophy. And so I, I think this team is set up that once it says full strength, it gives some people some problems. 
I, I think it's important that you, you know, you mentioned that, that, you know, at full strength and, and talking about this deficit that they're currently operating in. And, uh, you know, Philly's in a similar circumstance. They're missing a lot of key players heading into this. Jordan Mailata, Brandon Brooks, Brandon Graham. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny. I think people generally, you know, they see that on opposing sides, you know, fan bases and in the media, and, and they like to look at it through the lens of there's an advantage for us. Look at all these guys missing on Philly. That's an advantage. And on Philly, you're looking to go, look at all these guys missing. Michael Gallup and Lyle Collins and all these injuries. Um, sure. Is there anybody in this game you think that's operating at a uh, at a greater deficit or, or has any sort of advantage, or do you think this just comes out to a bit of a wash? Yeah, in, in many ways, I, I think it does come out to a wash because I think you know there's there's some strengths that both of these teams have, being that they're still at full strength, that they should be able to take advantage of in terms of the matchups, you know, across from them. And then when it comes to, you know, where they're, where they're a little light in this game, I think you're just going to have to find a way to survive it and, and guys who have their opportunity to step up and, and play in prime time and play a very prominent role are going to have to show and prove that they can hold the fort down until other guys come back. I mean, it's, I don't think there's a real, a real tangible advantage of one team over the other, given what each, what, uh, what each team is missing. I mean, some people would say, well, look, I mean, geez, you're, you're basically missing three. Well, you're missing four guys out of your rotation. If you include DeMarcus Lawrence, I mean, mm-hmm. between him and Watkins and Armstrong and, and Bradley and I not playing, I mean, that's four guys, four guys who play a prominent role. How can you overcome that? Well, you know, they like some of the other players that they still have. And, and that's just, that's just part of the game. And, and, as you already mentioned, with Jordan not playing at left tackle, and then Brandon Brooks is one of the best guards in the NFL, period. Right. You know, that's two-fifths of their offensive line. That, that's a big deal. So it, it kind of washes out right there. And we'll, we'll see how how things shake out in this game. I mean, these two teams are both going to be much better than what people expected them to be maybe coming into the season, although I think in Dallas, everyone people always expect Dallas to be better than maybe um, – and maybe their their roster, you know, merits in terms of recognition. But I think this year is going to be different for them. I think this year is going to be a strong year for Philadelphia too, and that's what makes Monday Night so exciting this year in particular with this matchup. You know, we we talk about how thin Dallas is on the defensive line, and they were really thin on edge last week, and they are again this week. And their solution to that mm-hmm. was putting Micah Parsons out there. And I know your background, a, a big part of it is in talent evaluation as a scout. Yeah. Um. And so, what were your thoughts of Micah Parsons as a prospect, and uh, what are your thoughts on him or your perspective on him now through two weeks? And has anything changed for you? Yeah, as a prospect, look, I mean, he's he's easy to scout. Those guys are easy. Guys who are. 6'3", 248, 250, run 4'4", they're easy to scout, especially when you combine it with tremendous instincts and then a tremendous desire to play, which all showed up at Penn State when he played in, in 2019. It, it all showed up. It was just a matter of what was he going to – how was he going to be utilized specifically once he got to the pros? He's going to be utilized more as a, as a covered specialist. Well, not covered specialist, but how would he be utilized in third down, I guess I should say. Would he be in the back seven as far as being a coverage guy, or would he be someone who would put his hand down or someone who would be sent from a two-point stance to rush quarterback? And it's funny. He's done all of that already in two games. He's been used in every single one of those ways in the first two weeks of his career. He's covered. He's rushed from a two-point. He's rushed from a three-point. He's made plays in all three areas. So he's exactly what 
you would want in the 12th overall pick. I mean, he, he's given them the return on investment already, and he's going to have to give them even more. And because, as you say, I mean, they're, they're operating at a deficit, and they need every bit of his, of his playmaking ability until they can, you know, get some reinforcements healthy again. And I, and I think he'll deliver that because this guy loves to play. He's just like a wild stallion out there that Dan knows there's not, you, you can't tame him too much. You can't give him too much. Just let him go because that's when he's at his very best. And that's what makes him so damn exciting. Where is Dallas most vulnerable? Do you think heading into this game? In other words, like if they lose this game, if Philly comes in here and steals this one at AT&T stadium on Monday night, what do you think we're going to look back and say, that was the reason why Philly got the better of Dallas? Well, I think it's, it's potentially because they could wear down Dallas's front four um, because these guys just aren't able to withstand the intensity of what is a very good rushing attack from Philadelphia. And Philly holds, holds on to the football, doesn't give Dak many possessions. And then the possessions that they do give Dak, Philly plays like that soft umbrella cover four, cover two, makes them drive the length of the football field and they aren't better in the red area in terms of getting points themselves. I think that's how it's going to that's how it could play out in Philly's favor if they're able to execute that. Now, a couple big plays from CD or Amari or Ezekiel or Tony Pollard, and it, it changes the whole complexion of things, but I think that's the methodology that Philadelphia has to use. See if they can beat up this already hobbled front. See if they're still with three of their starters on the offensive line good enough to be able to control the clock and Jalen Hurts make them unique plays, and they've got some unique weapons on the perimeter too, although I think Dallas's secondary is starting to it, – it, it's starting to find its footing as far as what what roles each one of these guys are going to play. So it, it's, very much a, it's very much a wild card type of game because of, because of the unknowns of some of the players who have to play and whether or not they're going to be able to hold up under, you know, the bright lights of Monday night, which we all know comes with a, a heightened set of expectations and – a lot of nervous energy that can make players either play better or make them shrink from the moment. I, I know that uh, a, a big talking point around Dallas or a big conversation piece has been this Zeke Pollard discussion and, and how these carries should be split up, how these touches, these snaps should be split up. And I know that mm-hmm. you uh, you weighed in on Twitter a little bit and you know kind of borrowed that line that rumors of mind of demise have been greatly exaggerated and that yeah. you know Zeke Elliott yeah. is still a a, a top tier running back. What are your thoughts on how the Cowboys should approach this situation? Are they approaching it the right way right now and they should just continue you know steady as she goes? Absolutely, absolutely. I think there. Well, I know there is way way too much talk about that on the outside. Way too much based upon we just got done talking with them and based on how they feel internally, like I I feel though they're they're like shocked that people are even like talking about this. And I think the reason why people are talking about it is because of what Ezekiel is making, what his salary is and what they feel should come along with that salary. They feel as though that salary should be, you know, equal to, 25, 30 carries a game, three yards in a cloud of dust, everything runs through Zeke, every run is Zeke, every screenplay is Zeke, every goal line run is Zeke. And they're not looking at it that way. They don't care what he's making. They care about wins. They care about efficiency. They care about ball distribution. They they care about scoring points. And honestly, we're only going into game three. It's a long season, one that's been increased by one game. They need two backs. They like the fact that they have two backs. 
they like the fact that they have two backs who are a little bit different in terms of the speed and change of direction power that these guys have, change of direction ability these guys have. They don't think Zeke has lost a step at all. They think he's fine, and they think he's going to play a huge role as this season continues to go on. And Tony's role will be exactly what it's been. So they, they love their setup. And right now, they feel as though they can hit teams in any way they, they please, depending upon what they try to take away from Dallas. Meaning, do they sit back and play soft and, and kind of play scared or play cautious as far as not having the ball thrown over their head with, uh, with Amari and CD? Or do they come up and start and try to defend them like they used to with a with um, many more eight man fronts, make sure that the running game doesn't get going, and then try and get after Dak? Because if they feel teams do that, then look, Dak's playing on a whole nother level now. Okay, CD's taking his game from year one to year two to a whole nother level. We already know what Amari is, so they feel as though they've got it right where they want it right now. And Zeke is the least of their worries. As a matter of fact, he's not a worry as far as they're concerned. And so it's, it's kind of funny listening to them talk about it and how excited they are about how things are going and then listening to people talk about this team and go, Zeke Elliott, you know, his best days are, are behind him and they screwed up by giving him his money and they don't need him anymore. No, they still need him and, and they still love him and you're going to see that as the season plays out. Last question for you here, and uh, you kind of referenced it there a little bit, I think, where you talked about, uh, you know, Dak has taken his game to another level, and there was obviously a lot of discussion leading up to his contract extension about, you know, well, is he, what kind of a quarterback is he? And I think that was, you know, mainly from holdouts that were dug in against him from mm-hmm. earlier play. I had talked to somebody inside the league outside of Dallas who had said mm-hmm. that, you know, they saw Dak early on his career and said, yeah, he had a lot of moxie and he had that it factor. But, you know, I don't think anybody saw him becoming the passer that he's become today. He is an elite passer and, and it's just been mm-hmm. amazing to watch his progression. Uh, just, I guess, closing out here, talk a little bit about his progression and how you view Dak in terms of the upper echelon of quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I think I'll start at the, at the last part of what you asked and then and then go to his progression. Look, he is an upper echelon of passers now. There's no question about that. He is a guy who can put the team on his back, and in a I-have-to-throw-the-ball-45-to-50-time type of game, he can give his team a chance to win, just like he did week one against Tampa. He put his team in position to win. It didn't work out because too much time was left on the clock for Tom Brady, and Tom is Tom, who is also in the upper echelon of passers in the NFL, and you see what happens. So, why is he there now? Well, because, one, he's wired the right way. He has the right kind of dedication. He has the right kind of makeup. He has the right kind of mental engine to be able to constantly be assessing what he needs to do better and then working on those things and then applying those things in real time on the football field. And he's in a situation now where he has great, a great supporting cast. He, as things are happening now, He can make the decisions on the fly that put his team in great situations now. And it's just, it's one of these, it's one of these situations that it's hard for, unless you really dig into all the other things outside of, you know, the obvious, which are, you know, when he came out of school, did he, did he have Peyton Manning type of numbers or did he have, um, I don't know, Zach Wilson type of hype or Trevor Lawrence type of hype when he came out of, at a college? No, he didn't. So it's easy for people to jump on that kind of bandwagon and say, this guy's going to be a great player as long as he stays healthy and has a great supporting cast, blah, 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 blah. For Dak, it's more of a projection. 
based on what his offensive system was like at Mississippi State, how his skills were going to translate to the NFL, it's, it's a lot harder. So people are going to kind of be very reserved until they actually see it happen. And most people don't have the you-know-what to go ahead and jump out ahead of that kind of projection and go, hey, you know what? I see something in this guy that would allow him to become an upper echelon passer. Not many people are brave enough to do that. And no one was really brave enough to do that on him. But that doesn't discount the fact that now that he has earned it, that you need to give him his credit. See, some people will continue to hold back their praise of him because he didn't start with a silver spoon in his mouth, so to speak, as far as being considered one of those upper echelon passers. And people are always very reluctant to go ahead and change course on those kind of things because a lot of people don't want to be wrong about stuff when they're talking about analyzing football players. But a lot of people were wrong on the upside of Dak Prescott, a lot. And now it is what it is. He's paid the way he should be paid based on how he has played both in the beginning of last year before he got hurt and through two games this year. And I see no reason for it to change because I tell you what, you sit there and talk to him and you listen to this guy's frame of mind, both on the field, off the field, what he needs to keep doing to get better, how he feels about his coaching staff, how he feels about his supporting, you know, his supporting cast. How you know how much he understands what it means to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys? He's got it all going on right now, man, and he, it's only going to get better for him personally. And the better it gets for him personally, the better it's going to get for this football team. Simple as that. You can catch Lewis Riddick on the Cowboys Eagles broadcast on ESPN for Monday Night Football, and you can catch him on Twitter at l riddick espn. Lewis, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much again to Lewis Riddick for joining us today. Some really great insight there as usual. I know a lot of you are big fans of him. Um, So I want to pivot over now to three things that I'll be watching really closely in this game for the Cowboys. So the winner of this one will be in sole possession of first place in the NFC East. I know it's early on. Um, And they'll also be the only team in the NFC East with a winning record. Washington lost big to Buffalo and fell to one and two. Their one victory against the Giants who lost again on Sunday, this time to the Falcons, and they remain winless at 0-3. So a big game for the Cowboys early in the season to kind of get a leg up and set themselves up for what is expected to be a difficult second half of the schedule. Um, So here are just three line items that I'm looking at coming into this game. Number one, how healthy is Amari Cooper? We know that his ribs that were initially reported just to be bruised. In fact, Mike McCarthy said, I would term it a bruise. Or something to that effect. Which was like, well, is it or is it not? I think he just wanted to term it a bruise, even though it was not. um, Because he does have a cracked rib. And he'll likely be dealing with it for a while. He's been dealing with it pretty much the entire season at this point. Played well with it. um, But I would imagine he's definitely going to be in some pain. He said that, you know, he he talked to media this week. Said he wants to be out there. He's going to play through it. He's going to, you know, continue to push himself and expects to have a big impact on the game, but I'll be interested to see the reality of the situation. Cause we know in the past, there have been times that when he gets banged up, it can cause his play to suffer, which is expected, but you just, it's something to definitely keep an eye on, especially with Michael Gallup still out of the game. Um, item number two for me, can Dan Quinn scheme up more miraculous pass rush? Cause you know, we saw Dan Quinn had generated that improbable pressure against the chargers last week. And he's going to need to do it again against the Eagles this week. They've got to be able to get some pressure. But at the same time, they've got to make sure that Jalen Hurts doesn't beat him with their legs and get outside the pocket. They are 
benefiting a little bit from the absence of Brandon Brooks and Jordan Mailata or, or benefiting a lot. That is a nice boost. But as you heard Lewis Riddick say, it's a bit of a wash with how thin Dallas's front four seems to be. So is he able to get more pressure with Micah Parsons? Is he able to get some blitzes and, and scheme that up to where Dallas can put the pressure on the Eagles a little bit? They'll really need that again this week. And, and I think in order to get that, they need to be able to keep Micah Parsons with his hand on the ground, which means the linebackers Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch need to really step up and be solid and make it so that they don't feel obligated to pull Micah Parsons off the pass rush. It's going to take a serious coaching job from Dan Quinn this week, I think. And he's, he's done a great job when presented with similar challenges so far this year. And then my third item that I'm looking at here is, is Dak Prescott going to be able to hit on deep passes? And I know this is a controversial subject because all you guys think he's played great so far this season. I thought he played really great against Tampa. I thought he was solid but not great against the Chargers. And the Bucks and the Chargers took away the downfield throws from Dak Prescott. And so, regardless of how he played, he wasn't able to take a lot of the shots downfield that we've become accustomed to with him in the last couple of years. And, you know, you heard Lewis Riddick kind of reference it. Philly's likely going to try to do the same. But at what point, I guess, do you just trust Dak Prescott to make a play? And I don't think they distrust him. So I guess I'm going to say, at what point do you allow that to be put into practice? What point do you let him take shots downfield, regardless of the tight coverage, and say, we trust that Dak Prescott can get this ball 30, 35 yards down the field into a tight window. We trust that he can drop it in the bucket because we've seen him do it a lot. And maybe that's Dak deciding he doesn't want to take those chances and he, he'd rather take, you know, the profit. You always take a profit as one of the old coaching lines. Maybe he just says, you know what, there's a, a nice six-yard gain. Let's take that. I don't want to take this chance downfield. But it is interesting just to see that, uh, you know, we've become so accustomed to the way Dak Prescott can push the ball downfield and make things really difficult on a defense and really stress them, and in turn, stress the opposing offense to put more points on the board. So it'll be interesting to see if they can scheme anything up for him or let him take those chances even if it appears to be decent coverage. Let him take those shots downfield, break out a little bit, put pressure on the Eagles, and potentially change this game. As you heard Lewis Riddick say, the Eagles are probably going to try and turn this into a clock control game and use their solid running game to kind of wear down the front seven of the Cowboys, which is dinged up right now. So you can put some points on the board, make some things happen downfield. You put pressure on the Eagles to match that. They can't just run the ball and slow things down. You make it to where they have to catch up to you. So I'll be interested to see if, Dak is taking shots downfield, and specifically if he's taking them in the first half, earlier in the game, and trying to push the tempo a little bit. I'd like to see it. I'd like to, you know, see that, not that I think the shoulder's limiting him at all, but I'd like to just have that comfort of seeing him do it again, because we just haven't really seen him do it through the first two weeks. I think the farthest pass he's thrown downfield was the very first one he threw to Amari Cooper to open the season. So, hopefully we can see a little bit more explosiveness in the passing game and, and take some pressure off of that 
defensive side of the ball to, you know, not get worn down by the Philly run game. All right. So before we wrap up today's show, I want to spend the last few minutes here with you guys talking about something that seemed to get some of you guys fired up at the end of last week. Um, And before we get into that, I want to open this section with a quote, or I guess it's, it's more of a poem. I'd like to read a passage from really one of the great orators of our time or any time for that matter. It goes something like this. You a mom and pop. I'm a corporation. I'm the press conference. You a conversation. Oh, why you so obsessed with me? And boy, I want to know. Lion that you're sexting me. When everybody knows, it's clear that you're upset with me. Oh, oh, oh. That, of course, is a passage from Mariah Carey's 2009 masterwork, Obsessed. And I opened this section with that because I want to quickly discuss this whole Nick Sirianni thing that, again, a lot of people seem to get worked up about, which I honestly thought was a little college-like to me. Um, Of course, you guys know he went up there at the press conference wearing his Beat Dallas shirt, and it had a feeling like, like I said, almost like, college rivalry like Michigan Ohio State beat Michigan beat Ohio State oh it's Ohio State week it's Michigan week it's oh it's Texas OU weekend I don't know how much that resonates on the professional level but it clearly seems to resonate for Eagles fans and has resonated with the Eagles organization for like 40 years now and We'll dive into that. We'll talk about some of that. But first, let's hear Sirianni talking about the shirt himself and Dallas week. I just know how uh, how heated the rivalry is and that it's the it's the it's the rivalry that feels to me like since I've been in NFL for the past 14 years, like this is the one that feels most like the college rivalries that you and that's pretty special. I mean, those are always always games in college that, you know, are are legendary games they play those they play those clips from around you know if 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 you're thinking old miss mississippi they play those clips over and over and over again and what's the same thing here like you make plays in this game um they're going to be shown for a long time so know how much this rivalry means seeing this seeing so many plays from this game you know the highlights of the cowboys or the highlights from the eagles being played a bunch as i grew up as well yeah yeah you can definitely feel it and you, you know i can't tell you how many times I, since i've been here um you know when i have an interaction with a fan it's like hey beat dallas you know and i, I think that's really cool i think that's awesome so um I uh, really love the fact that I'm in the, I'm, I'm able to partake in this rivalry, and it, it means a lot to the city. It means a lot to our team, and it means a lot to this building. And you're still going to wear that all week? Uh, yeah, I got another shirt that I got, too. Uh, but it's, it's awesome. I, again, these shirts, like, I still have my Mount Union John Carroll shirts from 2003. I love wearing those around, and, and, and so it feels the same way. And um, just, uh, yeah, I'll be wearing this all week. Uh, my kids got it. My wife has one, and, uh, yeah, we'll be, we'll be wearing them. All right, that's fine. You know, he thinks it's cool. He thinks it's awesome. He loves rivalries. He's a big t-shirt guy. He wore Jalen Hurts t-shirt earlier this year, which again feels a little bit like something you'd see from 
like a Mike Leach or somebody like that. Like it, it seems like a college move, but you know, whatever gets his guys motivated, I guess. But there is this long history of not just Nick Sirianni. Nick Sirianni is hardly the first one. This long history of Philadelphia Eagles head coaches using Dallas as their main motivational tool or one of their main motivational tools. The guy that Nick Sirianni replaced, Doug Peterson, he infamously had this quote when he was speaking to WIP in Philadelphia ahead of that 37 to 10 beat down that the Cowboys gave them in 2019. Remember, he said this leading up to that game. We're going down to Dallas and our guys are going to be ready to play and we're going to win that football game. And when we do, we're in first place in the NFC East. We control our own destiny. We're right where we need to be. And of course, before Doug Peterson, there was Chip Kelly and Chip Kelly spent his first year in Philadelphia telling reporters that playing the Cowboys was no different from any other team. He was trying to just toe the line of, you know, every week's a big week. Every game's important. You know, it, it doesn't matter which opponent we're, we're fighting every week. And he changed his tune by the second time they had played the Cowboys in 2014. He had said at a press conference that week, quote, this team has good resolve, talking about the Eagles. This team has good resolve. There's no better thing to get their attention than playing the Dallas Cowboys at home in the link in front of our crowd. So I think they'll be fired up for it. So it went from being just another game to, oh yeah, this is the way we get our players' attention. Like this is how we get our guys in the locker room to focus is to harp on this Dallas hatred and this Dallas rivalry. And you go back before Chip Kelly, of course, there was that 15-year run of Andy Reid and the Eagles pretty routinely beating the Cowboys, actually. So you would think that they wouldn't necessarily need to flex as hard or, or be as caught up in their hatred of it. But this was a story from the Philadelphia Inquirer ahead of the Eagles playing their final game at Texas Stadium in 2008. This is from the Inquirer. It reads, Andy Reid can distinctly remember the first time he got a real sense of how important the Eagles-Cowboys rivalry was to fans in these parts. It was October 1999, and Reid had stopped at a fast food spot before heading into the office for a 20-hour day. A little old lady, sweet as could be, he recalled, ambled up to the gigantic head coach and let him know that it would be wonderful if the Eagles could upset the Cowboys. Actually, her language was much saltier. Quote, the first time we played them, I found out, Reed said. I went up to a McDonald's up the street before the game. I had a little breakfast burrito, if you can believe that. There was this 80-year-old lady in there. She saw me come in, and she got after me. It mattered not that the Eagles were a franchise in transition, an 0-4 mess coming off a 3-13 season, nor did she care that the Cowboys were 3-0, averaging 33.3 points per game, and were the defending NFC champions. She said, hey, you better kick their... Well, you know, Reed said, his voice trailing off. She looked like your normal grandmother, and I went, okay, this is the real deal. And again, that's from the Philadelphia Inquirer in 2008. And it doesn't stop at Andy Reed. You go back, you go Sirianni, Doug Peterson, Chip Kelly, Andy Reed, and before Andy Reed, it was Ray Rhodes. And in December of 1995, the Eagles are jockeying with the Cowboys for the NFC East title, and they beat Dallas in a really critical game at Veterans Stadium near the end of the season. And this is a section from the Associated Press, their report on the game following the Eagles' victory that day. With Dallas coming to town, Ray Rhodes wasn't going to leave anything to chance. He himself called a team meeting Saturday night, 
a fire and brimstone reminder that the Cowboys, who had beaten Philadelphia in seven straight games, had no respect for the Eagles. It was basically just letting people know what time it was, Rhodes said. I said a lot of graphic things when I talked to them, and it probably shocked some of the guys the way I explained it, but hey, I'm taking the kid gloves off. He got us fired up, linebacker Bill Romanowski said. I started sweating while he was talking. I was ready to go out and play Saturday night. Rhodes didn't go into great detail about the meeting, but said he tried to make the issue of beating the Cowboys a personal one for his players. The players said they knew Rhodes meant business. You could tell it hit everybody and it hit home, safety Greg Jackson said. He made it a personal issue to the players. That, oh, yeah, we want you to go out there and we want you to win games and and win the division and get to the playoffs. We want all that. But this specific game against the Cowboys, this is a personal one for you guys. That same game, that same postgame, the Baltimore Sun that weekend wrote about that Ray Rhodes speech. And they said it was, quote, an oral firestorm, an impassioned appeal from their coach that even by Ray Rhodes' standards was unusually profane and emotional. And then they later added the shocking staccato sermon virtually commanded that Cowboys bodies be strewn across the veteran stadium carpet. What the hell? <laughs> like, I get it. You, you want to win a big game and you're trying to file fire people up. But and it seems like they've really got to tap into something extra aggressive when it comes to Dallas. And we know the history of, you know, Buddy Ryan and how much he hated Tom Landry and how much he hated Jimmy Johnson and how much he hated everything about the Dallas Cowboys. And one of the signatures of that, I think that most fans remember, was the Bounty Bowl in 1989. And that was Jimmy Johnson's first year in Dallas. And there's been this long-standing rumor that Buddy Ryan had put a $200 bounty on the Cowboys kicker, Luis Zendejas. And that's because, obviously, he hated Dallas, but also because Zendejas had been cut by the Eagles earlier in the season, and he had caught on with the Cowboys. And Buddy Ryan denied these rumors for forever. Uh, One of the quotes he had about it at the time was, why would I place a bounty on a kicker who can't kick worth a damn? But former Eagles linebacker Seth Joyner, he actually confirmed the bounty in NBC Sports Philadelphia's pregame show ahead of Dallas's 2019 Week 16 loss in Philly. And Seth Joyner even expanded on Buddy Ryan's distaste for Dallas. So here, take a listen to that. First of all, I want to say that I will not deny today. I will confirm that there <laughs> was you. a bounty on Luis Zendejas. And it wasn't $200. It was ten grand. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. No doubt him. about it. Playing for him, you know, playing for Buddy, you know, getting fired up like that, man. You couldn't have that these days, man. But how was it, you know, going, especially playing as a Dallas game, how, you know, furious used to get back then when you were players. I know when I played, it was it was the hottest game. I, when I first got here, they told me, hey, you could lose every single game but them two Dallas games. Well, listen, first of all, we were in a group, uh, an uber-aggressive defense to begin with. And then to add to that, Dallas, Buddy hated Dallas before he even came to Philadelphia. So he was the perfect <laughs> coach to be on this, to, to, to run this, this, this team. You know, and it was just heightened it was heightened because I think he was always pissed off, like most of us are, <laughs> that they self-proclaimed themselves America's team. Right, right, so right. So right, anytime right. Dallas, Dallas week rolled around, I hated Dallas growing up as a kid. You know, 
even before I started playing football. I was not a Dallas Cowboys fan. But when you talk about the rivalry, it's real. In this city, it's real. Um, across the NFL, it's real, but even much more so here. And uh, if you can't get up for this one, then you need to ask for a trade and go play somewhere else. No question. May even come from college. You know, me getting from me getting here from college. I mean, that's the, that's the first game they told you about. Hey, Dallas is Dallas. I didn't know anything about. It. I was in Kansas State in the middle of a cornfield going to school. But when I got here, I quickly learned from this point on that everybody hates Dallas. You know, I remember I took my family out to dinner and we're over at um, at this little Italian restaurant around the corner. We went three weeks in a row. Great service. I mean, great service, you know, great food. We lost that Dallas game. We came back. And this woman came up, I mean, an older lady, she about 80 years old, was cussing us out Italian. I know a couple of them words because, you know, even though I'm not Italian, but I know a couple of them words, man. That just goes to show how fiery it was. So do you see the pattern here? If you are head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, there's an expectation from fans and media that you are to hate the Dallas Cowboys and you are to use them as one of your main sources of motivation. It's a tactic for winning ball games is tapping into Dallas hatred. And this is the same fan base that created that documentary a few years ago called Dallas sucks all about how they just hate the Cowboys and Philadelphia sports writer, Bill Conlon, who passed away a few years ago, He wrote in a 1997 essay for a book that was called I Hate the Dallas Cowboys. He wrote about Eagles fans and he said this, quote, as the Eagles fortunes under Rich Kotite slowly eroded and Jimmy Johnson began leading the Cowboys to Super Bowls, Eagles fans expected, no, demanded Dallas to hate them back. They thought the first thing that fans of America's team did in the week leading up to an Eagles game was wake up and immediately reach for the phone to call Norm Hitzkiss and rip the hated Eagles. To this day, it infuriates Eagles fans that no matter how hard they hate the Cowboys, their demented dudgeon is simply not shared. Now look, Cowboys fans don't like the Eagles. I'd say they're probably, for most fans right now, the most hated division rival. But they don't have this like seething, all-consuming hatred, obsession for the Philadelphia Eagles, the way the Philadelphia Eagles clearly do for the Dallas Cowboys or the Philadelphia Eagle fans have for the Dallas Cowboys. You know, unrequited love is a tough thing, but unrequited hatred might be even harder for some folks to stomach. And that sure seems to be the case for Philly fans. Nick Sirianni probably doesn't care about the Dallas Cowboys any more than he cares about anybody else they're playing that week. But just like every other Eagles coach for the past 40 years, Nick Sirianni knows he needs to fall in line. And that means wearing a beat Dallas shirt. It's just part of the job. Anyway, I don't know. I guess we'll get a chance to see if the hatred is real in this matchup on Monday Night Football. Cowboys and Eagles squaring off one and one. Big opportunity for Dallas to see some of the momentum they got from the Chargers game, continue to build on a lot of the encouraging things we saw in weeks one and two, and to do it with a lot of important players missing. And if you can do that, I think that speaks to the budding strength of your culture and of your chemistry and of your overall talent and of your coaching staff and the way they're getting you prepared. 
There's a lot about this game that could speak volumes about how good the Cowboys can be later in the season. This could be a really good sign of things to come. Or they could fall apart and everybody could be spiraling out of control and we'll be talking about that next week. Either way, we will be here for you next week. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.